for them to have a good class today. We're going to take our Bibles this morning. We're going to go to the book of Titus. Book of Titus. And we're in chapter 1. And Titus was a Greek Christian, an early church leader, and a trusted friend and companion of the Apostle Paul. And Paul's letter was written to young Titus. He had his hands full there on the island of Crete. As we looked at number one or letter A the last few weeks, we saw Paul's great call. Letter B was Paul's purpose. That was to stir believers according to the faith of God's elect, according to the knowledge of truth, and to stir them up in godliness. And uh, that is uh, a, a crucial thing in the church. We need to stir people up to godliness. The Bible says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves uh, together as the manner of some is, but, to, uh, but so much more as you see the day approaching. But we need to exhort one another and encourage one another in godliness. And uh, the Bible says that uh, that is not the whole function of the church. That's not the, the end of the church. Uh, that is the starting point. Once we live godly lives, once we're, we have a, a saved uh, body of Christians, a, a body of believers, we have a church, we have people that are living after godliness, that are being discipled in the faith, they should be then trained and uh, stirred to go and do ministry. Uh, that is the function of the church. The Bible says in Matthew 28 that we're to go into all the world. Jesus' command was to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. God has called us to teach, to disciple, to go, and then to teach so that those disciples themselves can go out and reach more people and teach those people and disciple those people. And then for those people who are now basically your spiritual great-grandchildren can go and teach other people. And uh, praise the Lord for uh, the blessing that it is to see uh, your, uh, the people you've been uh, uh, blessed to have reached going and reaching others. That's always a blessing. Uh, we need to reach our next generation, though, uh, in, in our church. It's sad to say that many churches do a great job of going out and reaching the community, but they forget that their own children are part of the command to go and teach and disciple and win them to the Lord. But we see here in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That was Paul's purpose and message. He was called to be a servant and messenger of God to stir up believers as an apostle, uh, stir them up through the promises of God who cannot lie. Remember last week we looked at uh, the, Cre the Cretan people and how that they uh, on that island, they worshipped the gods. Uh, they worshipped Zeus, who they uh, believed to be uh, born there. And uh, he was basically a man who became a god. Uh, the Crete people were known as liars. Even Paul uh, quotes there in chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, says the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. One of their own said that. Uh, Epimenides, one of their own said that about the Crete people. Those that were on that island were liars. But Paul emphasizes there in verse number two that he serves a God which cannot lie. And God's promises are true. And God's promises 
are trustworthy because he does not lie. And uh, we see that he promised before the world began that there would be hope of eternal life. Uh, His message was to preach God's grace to save sinners, sanctify believers, uh, to preach about the holy life that follows true faith in Christ, and to daily expect the return of the Lord. Let's read uh, verses 3 and 4 together. If we could stand as we read this morning, Titus 1, verses 3 and 4. Give you a second to stand as we read these verses out loud together. All right, verse number 3, together. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you bless your word today. God, I need your help. God, I need... uh, your filling this morning, that you would uh, use the message and use your servant. I do pray that you would uh, encourage the believer, that we would be able to focus on your word, focus on your truth, not what man's ideas are, not what we think, but Lord, what did you say? Uh, Not what we heard, but what does your word say? I do ask that you would bless in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. God's wonderful program of salvation was planned before the world began. But now he says there in verse 2 that it is revealed, or he uses the word manifest in our uh, English translation here. It says manifested, revealed. How was it revealed? Look at verse 3 if you would. How is God's message revealed to us? Through preaching, right? Through preaching. Through preaching. And he says that this uh, is committed unto him. This uh, command here was given to him according to the commandment of our God and Savior. God commanded him to be a preacher. If you go with me to Acts chapter 16, this isn't in your notes, but I'm just adding this this morning. I thought about this, but we see the Macedonia call. There's several times where Paul was given a command to do something. One of them was to be a a light to the Gentiles. He was given that command on the road to Damascus, but we see here that Paul was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to preach the word because he was called to do that. He was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but he was also sensitive to where he should go and preach the gospel. You can't be everywhere. Sometimes we wish we could clone ourselves and be multiple places at the same time, right? A few weeks ago, one of our church families was saying they had several things, major events, family events on one day, and they could not be at every one of them. It's hard to make those choices sometimes, but uh, sometimes we wish we could be multiple places at the same time. Sometimes we, could just, we just wish we could be at the same place, but have several of us to do the jobs that are needed. Maybe it's cleaning the house, getting ready for company, and you wish you could be able to vacuum, wash dishes, and uh, you know, make the beds and do the laundry all at the same time, but we can't. God put limitations on us which is fine. We need to understand that God, God didn't create us to be omnipresent. He didn't create us omniscient. We cannot, and he didn't create us omnipotent. We can't know everything, be everywhere, and do everything. God put limits on us. So that also, you should have the understanding that if God limits us, he doesn't expect us to do everything. 
Sometimes we, we say, well, if I don't do this, then it's never going to happen. Sometimes when there is a need created by us not doing something, when we've been trying to spin our wheels and try to take care of everything, let's say, for instance, in the church, if, uh, if there's a, an opportunity for ministry, and yet we're trying to plug all of the holes, maybe. There's several times <clears throat> in the past where I've told families in the church, look, pull back a little bit on this. You can't do everything. I don't want you to get burnt out. And when they've, when they've stopped doing certain ministries, it created, their, uh, uh, created a void. And that kind of hurt. But it was for the best for that family to not do everything. But God stirred in the hearts of some people to see that need and to go and fulfill the need, whether it was a Sunday school class or whether it was a junior church class or whether it was singing or an instrument or something, ushering, uh, allow there to be some uncomfortableness at times. That's okay because that, uh, that need, God can use that need to stir people to do something. Paul couldn't be everywhere, so he was sensitive. Lord, where do you want me to go? And we see here in Acts 16, verse number 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now this is on Paul's uh, missionary journey with Silas, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Why? Because they didn't need to hear preaching in Asia? Why did Paul... uh, was he told by the Holy Ghost to not go to Asia? After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. What does that mean? Well, essentially that means the Spirit would not let them go. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. You think about this. This was a vision that he saw. A man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. There's a need in Macedonia. And verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Was there a need in Macedonia? Yes. Was there a need in Asia? Yes. Was there a need in Jerusalem? Yes. Was there a need in Galatia? Yes. There was a a need in Ephesus. There was a need everywhere. But Paul couldn't be everywhere. Silas couldn't be everywhere. So they had to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, uh, there's times where we just need to go and do. Get busy serving the Lord. You know, don't wait for the Macedonia vision. Uh, Come over into the bus ministry and help us. Come over into Sunday school class and help us. Sometimes we just need to get busy and serve the Lord. Take that first step, because God has called us five times in the scriptures to go and preach the gospel, specifically. He said uh, to start in Jerusalem, right? You read the book of Acts. He said, go to Jerusalem, then to the region of Judea. And then where does he say to go next? Do you remember uh, studying the book of Acts when, when they were commanded to go and preach the gospel? Where do they go? Going Jerusalem, Judea, then what's the next place? Samaria, right? And then to the uttermost parts of the world. Start where you are at. And when you are serving the Lord, he will make it clear to where he wants you specifically. 
But there's needs everywhere. There's needs everywhere. And we can't be everywhere, so be sensitive. Where is it the Lord needs me today? Where is it that he needs me? Paul was that, uh, the, the one that was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Going back to Titus chapter 1. He was called to be a preacher. And that's how God has uh, chosen to make known his gospel. That's through the preaching. And nothing can replace preaching. Books are wonderful. Praise God for books. I'm sure all of us have been affected in some way by a book. Lectures. Uh, plays. Poetry. Even uh, film can be used to stir the heart. But any effort to replace preaching with anything else sooner or later will fail because God has chosen preaching to be the method in which he reveals his word to the world. Preaching is the trumpet of truth in the church. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It is the message that is deemed foolish by some. What? Jesus died on a cross? God shed his blood. Jesus died and shed his blood for us. Why, did he, why couldn't God, if he's so powerful, why couldn't he just forgive us? The message many times is confusing to some. We who are saved understand the message. But for the lost person, it can be foolishness. It's, it, it is mocked, it is ridiculed. And sadly, some people water the message down to think, well, if we, if we just make it easier and more palatable and more uh, able to, for people to receive it, well, then they will, then they will accept it. No, they, we're not called to water the message down, we're called to preach the message. God acknowledges that it's foolishness for some, but we're supposed to preach. And by the way, uh, it's not just Sunday morning at 1045 uh, in Sunday, uh, Sunday morning that the pastor gets up and preaches. That's not the only time that preaching is supposed to be going on. Preaching is just declaring truth. You can preach to your children, moms, dads, preaching to your children. You can preach to your neighbors. You can preach to your uh, coworkers. That is our, our, our calling is to go and share the gospel message that, that, that we're preaching sometimes is relegated to the church building and to a Sunday service. But he says it's after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It's not through cleverness. It's not through uh, being, uh, uh, having some deep philosophy that's going to reach people. It is God's pleasure to use preaching to reach people. The Old Testament prophets, they preach God's message. John the Baptist preached the coming of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, we read about him. The Bible says that uh, he went out and he preached and he declared uh, that the Lord Jesus was coming. And uh, he said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. He was preparing the way for Christ. Then Jesus preached the gospel during his earthly ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. John the Baptist, he was put in jail. But Jesus then came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the message? Repent ye and believe the gospel. 
Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, what did he see? He saw a man named Peter, right? Simon. Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Uh, they were fishermen. And uh, uh, I will, he says to them, uh, I will come after me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And straightway, what does that mean straightway? We don't talk like that. Right away, they forsook their nets and they followed him. Praise the Lord for that. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit empowers Peter on the day of Pentecost. Here that uh, young fisherman who had been uh, casting a net into the sea. Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. I will make you to be fishers of men. What is he saying? I'm going to call you into the ministry of reaching people with the gospel. And what does he do? He denies Christ at the end of Jesus' ministry, but the Holy Spirit did a work in his life. And we see that Peter gets right with the Lord, and uh, he is convicted of his sin, and he, he, uh, he repents of that, and he comes to Christ, and uh, the Bible says in Acts 2 that he is empowered to preach. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, our preaching will be ineffectual, and it will not bring any spiritual lasting effect. I know that the Bible says that the Word of God will not return void. Praise God for that, but why would we get up and preach the Word of God without his power? Why would we preach it with power? We see that Peter was empowered by the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. It was not until then that he declared the message of the gospel to the, to the masses there. God had uh, set up that appointed time and appointed place for him to preach the gospel, but it was after he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I believe it is so important that we understand that is the power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. He uses preaching, praise God, praise God for that. He uses his word, praise God for that. But it is the power of the Holy Ghost that, uh, that quickens the message. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote many books on preaching, he said, what was it that turned the world upside down? We know that, that, that it was declared that the apostles, this uh, ragtag group of men, uh, many did not have any kind of education, nothing formal at least. They were trained up by Jesus. But the Bible tells us that, uh, that it was said of them that they turned the world upside down with the gospel. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, what was it that turned the world upside down? Was it just theological teaching? Was it mere enunciation of correct doctrine? We have a lot of that in churches. We have a lot of churches that have good doctrine. We have churches that uh, have good teaching. But he says, over and above that, there was this mighty demonstration of the spirit and of power. How did those people turn the world upside down? The answer is that in the book of Acts, we have an account of a great revival of the spirit out poured. Adrian Rogers said, I can preach truth, but only the Holy Spirit can impart truth. We need the Spirit's work. Now, preaching is important, but I don't think uh, it eclipses the need for prayer in churches. We need prayer. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a submission to the Lord. It is not clever uh, ideology. It is not clever philosophy. It is not, uh, it is not a, a, a silver-tongued uh, speaker. It is not uh, smoothness of the message. It is not all those things. I believe that preaching should, uh, should be uh, uh, homiletically correct. It should be uh, hermeneutically correct. It should be sound. It should be uh, theologically accurate. 
But nothing ever will replace the power of the Holy Spirit in preaching. Samuel Chadwick said the Holy Spirit has never abdicated his authority, nor relegated his power. Neither pope nor parliament, neither conference nor council is supreme in the church of Christ. The church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not, uh, I'm sorry, a ministry that is, a minister that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. The church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible, he says, to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamics, meaning it is possible for us to have all the correct things needed for for preaching and needed for uh, a dynamic service. But without the power, the dynamic aspect of preaching, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is of none effect. Now, by the way, I believe that you can sit under somebody that has correct theology, good doctrine, and all those things, but does not have the power of God. I believe that's possible for you to even, as the hearer, for us to be stirred by the message. Because if we are submitted to the Holy Spirit in our life, and we are under the correct teaching of the Word of God, even if it is not empowered, if the man of God might just be uh, not filled with the Holy Ghost. And of course, we use the word man of God, that phrase flippantly. I said it yesterday to somebody as we were door to door. He's like, well, I think all of us are, should be considered men of God as Christians. I said, you are right. But if the preacher of the word is not filled with the spirit, praise God, I do believe that we can still receive, uh, receive the message and for the Holy Spirit to work. But we need to be submitted in our own life. Just the same. I believe that if you sit under the preaching of the word of God from a man of God or a preacher of God that is filled with the spirit of God and you are not submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit, I believe it could go right over your head. I believe there would be conviction. I believe that there would be a work of God going on. I believe it would be spiritual warfare at that point. But you could, you could quench the spirit and you could fight the spirit and you could not be in submission to God and for it to have not, none effect in your life. So I believe there's a need for the man of God or the preacher of the word to be filled with the spirit, but also for the hearer to be ready to receive the message. Many people will say, well, pastor, I'm not being fed. Well, I'm sorry that you are not taking nourishment. That is on you. Sometimes it is a sad excuse for people to say, well, the, the pastor's not feeding me. Well, the pastor only has a few opportunities a week to feed you. What are you doing the rest of the week? So Paul has a lot to say about preaching. He mentions preaching at least 45 times in his epistles. I think I counted out at least 19 different sermons that are written out in the book of Acts alone. 19 sermons, 19 messages. That's not accounting for all the times that it said that they were preaching. But there's 19 sermons in the book of Acts alone. You read the Gospels, there's many there as well that Jesus preached. But Paul mentions preaching 45 times in his epistles. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 16, I believe it's in your notes there. For though I preach the gospel, praise the God for that. 
But he says, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul understood that he had a a divine command, a command from God to preach the word, to preach the word. Someone went up to the Iron Duke of Wellington and asked him, Sir, should we preach the gospel to every creature? And by the way, when I was a little boy, I know we lived on 25th Street at this time because I can picture the room. I can picture exactly how this all went down. I had one of those um, gift and award Bibles, you know, with the paper cover on it. We give to kids. And uh, it had a picture of the Sea of Galilee and a man in a, a fishing boat. Little sunset picture in the front. Some of you know exactly what Bible I'm talking about. You probably had one like that growing up. I remember that Bible I had out and I had uh, my stuffed animals there on the bed. And I, was, I had the word of God. You know, I was a little boy. My dad was the preacher. And I wanted to be like dad. And I remember we had a little dog named Jojo. He was a boy dog, but we called him Jojo. And, uh, which I didn't know until later. That's kind of a girl's name, I think. <laughs> Only people I've ever known named Jojo were, were females. But, but our boy dog was Johan. We called him Jojo. Johan Sebastian Doc. He was a German. And he was a dachshund. So Johann Sebastian Dach with a D. Anyways, uh, Dachshund is spelled D-A-C-H and, uh, and so on. But Dach. And uh, he, was, uh, he was, had AKC pa- papers and he was a, a pedigree dog, you know, had all of the background and that was his official title and name. And, uh, but I remember he was there on the bed too with all those stuffed animals. My dad came in the room and I asked my dad, you know in the Bible where it says to preach the gospel to every creature? Does that mean that we're supposed to preach the gospel to Jojo? He said, well, not technically is what it's talking about, but to the souls of men, those that can be saved. Now, by the way, you might disagree, but I like to think that Jojo's up there looking down on us, you know? And um, that he didn't need to get saved. See, it's us who are sinners who need to be saved. And so someone asked, kind of like I asked my dad, they asked this man, sir, should we preach the gospel to every creature? And the Iron Duke said, sir, (laughs) what are your orders? We preach under orders. As a dying man to dying men, we have a message to proclaim and a story to tell. We don't get to pick and choose who we preach to. Sometimes there's people that I don't want to because of, you know, they have that rough exterior. And, you know, I, you know the, the, those, those guys that ride the Harleys, you know, sometimes they got the leather and they're in a gang it can be a little bit intimidating. But you know, if the, if the opportunity lends itself, what does the Bible say? Preach the gospel to every creature. There might be people that uh, we have, uh, we just have an issue with them. We might not even speak the same language or we might have some other cultural difference where we have a hang up and we have some issue with talking to that person. We might have some things that we have to overcome, but God has called us to preach the gospel as a dying man man to dying men. We have a need, and so do they. Their need is the same as ours. And so Paul had divine command to preach. Our message, uh, the message that we preach is Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ. 
See, it is not us that we are promoting. It is not our message. We have the message of hope. That is Jesus Christ. The church is founded upon the word of God and the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And so our preaching in the church needs to be Jesus and our preaching out of the church needs to be Jesus because it is him that we are called to to share. Uh, Spurgeon said, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever known, uh, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. He pastored a large church in London and it was known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was a Baptist church, but they didn't have Baptist on the name. It was just called Metropolitan Tabernacle there in, uh, in, in London. And the building is still there today. What's left of it? Part of it was taken out during the bombings in World War II. Of course, if you remember, uh, just thousands and thousands of bombs were dropped on that city. And uh, they rebuilt uh, part of that building. But some of the edifice that Spurgeon uh, had in that building back in the 19th century that he preached in that building where thousands and tens of thousands of people heard him preach. And he was known as that prince of preachers. He said, never was man blamed in heaven for preaching Christ too much. He was a man that was known to preach Jesus and the gospel and salvation in every one of his sermons. He was also known as a man who, although he was uh, sophisticated by uh, that day's standards in some ways, you know, he was uh, this great well-known man. Uh, he, was, uh, he was welcomed uh, to many of the, uh, the high society gatherings, and uh, he was revered and respected, and people read his sermons and uh, he had a, a large church and many ministries, but his sermons were not aimed to go over the heads of his congregants. He, he endeavored to preach so that the youngest person that ever came to church could understand his sermons. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, outsiders may say, this man harps only on one string. Do you wonder the carnal mind is enmity against God, and it specially shows its hatred by railing at the cross. Saintly one finds here in the perpetual mon monotony of the cross. The preaching of Christ, the monotony where we're coming back to the, to the message of the gospel week after week after week. He said a greater variety than in all other doctrines put together. He said, preach you Christ and Christ and Christ and Christ and nothing else but Christ. So many times we see people uh, that are uh, known as pastors and preachers, and they get up Sunday after Sunday, and they say, well, we kind of ran this well dry over here. Let's go and talk about something else. And they get themselves into a world of trouble because they begin to adopt human philosophy into their sermons. They begin to adopt, uh, you know, uh, f uh, health and wellness and prosperity into their sermons. That is not the message of the gospel. The message is Jesus Christ. He is the the only message that is to be preached. Our message is not uh, anything but Jesus. Our message is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we should never minimize the, the place of preaching in the local church because the preaching of God's word is the most significant and challenging part of public worship. It requires mental, emotional, physical and spiritual participation from not only the pastor but also the listeners we need to come to church prepared come prepared and uh prepare yourself to listen to the preaching of god's word part of uh being prepared 
is that we are seeking and endeavoring to be right with the Lord in our private lives. The, the part that nobody sees, may that be right with God as we walk into the place where we hear the, the preaching, the stirring of God's people through the word of God. A second thing is we need to expect God to speak. So many people say, well, God doesn't speak to me anymore. Are you listening to the Lord? Are you listening to the Lord? Are you coming expecting him to say something? Many times we need to clear our schedule out. Get ready the night before. I've heard it said that Sunday school, which we have Sunday school at 9.30 here, and I hope that you can come and be a part of that. Next week, we're starting a new challenging series on uh, one another in our adult Sunday school class. I want you to be a part of that. But they say that Sunday school, Sunday school is a Saturday night decision. Sunday school is a Saturday night decision. Why? Because if you don't plan to go, you might have a desire to be there. You might say, well, I'd, I'd sure love to be at Sunday school. But if you don't make it a plan to go, the devil's going to throw all kinds of things. And he's already going to do it. But you have to determine, I'm going to be there no matter what. No matter what, I'll be there. Expect God to speak. Also admit God knows better than you do. And that's why I want to be careful as the pastor to put myself aside so I'm not a distraction. Because sometimes people might hear the message and they say, well, that's just pastor's opinion on that. Well, I have opinions. We're allowed to have those, right? But what does the Bible say to you? What is God saying to you? And that's, that's very important to discern. What is God saying to me? And admit that God knows better than you do. That means, and when we admit that God knows better, that means that we have to be willing to change some, some things. It, it's never appropriate for us to say to God, well, God, I guess we've got to agree to disagree. Now, there's people that we say that to just because we want to have a, you know, some kind of relationship with them. You know, we don't see eye to eye on this, but I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. But the only appropriate way to approach God is to say, God, although I disagree with you on this, I'm going to submit to you because you are right. God is always right. And then also another thing and how we can prepare for the preaching is as we listen, make sure the preacher says what the passage says. Now I'll admit, I've gotten it wrong before, I, but I'm trying. I'm trying. But I also have to submit to say, if I'm wrong, that's okay. I'll get it. I'll, I'll seek to get it right. But you need to make sure that the preacher is saying what the passage says. One great way to do that is to do what? Bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. And now we provide a Bible in the pew there, but bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Is the message lining up with Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture? Uh, sometimes it might sound right because it looks like what the passage is saying, but we look that verse uh, we try to take that verse and see the whole context. That's why we're trying to preach verse by verse by verse by verse so you can see the whole context, the chapter or the book. Um, also, Scripture in this book does not disagree with Scripture in another book of the Bible. So many times people are turned off to church and to preachings because they hear contradiction. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Preachers contradict themselves, but the Bible will not contradict itself. 
then hear the sermon in church. I understand that watching online can be a blessing, but come to church. Be there week by week. Do what the Bible says. It's not enough to just hear the Word of God. We need to do what the Word of God says. For the pastor, preaching is an exhausting process. I know that some people say, well, the pastor, he only works one hour a week. I know that that's, that's tongue-in-cheek, I hope. Uh, but in fact, some think that preaching is uh, just one sermon. Some have thought, thought this, and it's probably true. Uh, that preaching just one sermon can be the equivalent of a full eight-hour workday. Now, it might be saying, well, I've seen people work a lot harder than you, Pastor, and during that one hour that you're up there. But the emotional energy, the preaching takes a ton of energy out of the pastor, the preacher. Pastors also have to labor for hours prior to preaching to prepare messages that God has put on their hearts. Um, So that being said, when we come to church, expect God to speak to you. Pastor might not always have things correct. We're striving to do that. But if you come expecting to not receive something, if you're not expecting anything, you probably, probably will not receive anything from the word. I believe that God honors faith. I know that God honors faith. When we exhibit faith by preparing to hear the word, preparing our hearts, submitting to the Holy Spirit, expecting him to work, God will work. I don't know if this is appropriate right here, but I like what Adrian Rogers said and just tuck this away. He said, there are those who can preach the gospel better than I can. By the way, I think he's one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard, but I like Adrian Rogers. But he says, there are those who can preach the gospel better than I can, but there is nobody who can preach a better gospel than I can. Isn't that wonderful to know that the gospel is the same no matter who is preaching it? It should be. Whether it's your pastor or a pastor, hopefully if you go out of town, go visit a good church, or maybe you were in a different church, grew up in a different church, hey, if we're preaching the same book and we have the same Holy Spirit inside of us, we should be preaching the same thing. And some can preach it better than I can, but nobody can preach a better gospel than I can. Praise God for his gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Letter D, Paul's reward there in verse number four. Let's read it. He talked about preaching, praise the Lord for the gospel and uh, his commitment to it and the the command to preach it. But verse four, Paul says to Titus, that's who it's written to, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith. Titus was a young man who had been saved under Paul's ministry. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The minister's reward, or Paul's reward, bearing sons in the faith. The reward of God's servant is that of fruit, of bearing others in the faith. Titus was a spiritual son. Titus' faith was also common to Paul as they had received the same uh, gospel. Uh, Their faith was placed in the same person in the Lord Jesus. But I want you to understand something, that a true servant of God, a preacher, whether it's the preacher or the pastor at the church, or whether it's you who are preaching the gospel 
declaring truth, declaring Jesus wherever you go, a true servant of God will bear fruit. If you are preaching the word, you will bear fruit. You might say, well, I'm not going to bear as much fruit as some of these other people out there like Billy Graham who reached thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions in his ministry. Well, are we striving to be Billy Graham or are we striving to be an obedient servant of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's not, it's not up to us. It should not be up to us how many we reach. And be careful. There's so many people that have, are striving for numbers. I, don't, I believe that God cares about numbers because he cares about people. People equate numbers. But it's not about how many notches we can put in our belt. And it's sad to say some people just run people through the mill, so to speak. Well, just pray a prayer. I think we need to be thorough in giving the gospel, in declaring truth. Be thorough in doing that. Uh, sad to say, sometimes people, they're only concerned about the numbers. That is pride. That is pride. But a true servant of God will bear fruit. He will bear fruit. He will bear sons and daughters in the faith. And that is part of the reward to see others trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and grow in grace, mercy, and the peace of God in Christ. It is such a blessing to see someone who you have been able to lead to Christ also leading other people to Christ and all the glory to God in that situation. All the glory to God. There's two, there's two young people right now that I'm thinking of, my wife and I, had a part, just a part, in seeing them come to church, get saved, be discipled, down in Texas, but sad to say we, we are not there. We left there in 2014, and praise God for the pastor and youth pastor that continued on working in their lives, but right now, those two young ladies, two of those young ladies are in Bible college, or they will be coming back this fall, I hope, to Bible college. Praise the Lord for that. We don't see them all the time. We don't communicate all the time, but I know that they're there, and when we've seen them at, uh, in Bible college, think of uh, one of the young ladies, uh, that uh, just has such a wonderful spirit, was saved. Her and her sister came uh, to church on the bus, and uh, we helped them move from one apartment to another, their whole family, and they kept coming on the bus. We tried to find them. You know, sometimes when you have bus kids, they move off the bus route, and you try to go and find them and make sure they keep coming to church. But for those two years or a year and a half that we got to know them, what a blessing it was to have a part in that. But to see them now, serving the Lord, working on a bus route at, at Fairhaven, one of the girls, working on a bus route, reaching people with the gospel. But I want you to have those same experiences, to find someone and to take the gospel to them. The command is for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Who are we to preach to? The people that look like us, the people who eat the same food as us, the people who have the same culture as us. No, he says to go everywhere. And by the way, the world has come to us. <laughs> we have a, a church that meets here on Sunday afternoons. In fact, this last week they were here every day having their vacation Bible school, but a Burmese church. Not part of our church, but like faith and practice and all those things, a Baptist church. But they meet here on Sunday afternoons. There's people that uh, we're able to reach, and we don't have a Spanish ministry, but we've been able to see some Spanish-speaking people get saved, and a sister church is helping them because they have a Spanish ministry. But praise the Lord, for the world is on our doorstep now. 
What a great opportunity we have, but we need to be out there making, uh, making, uh, making the gospel known in our community. It's not time for us to take a siesta and, and lay back and say, well, maybe somebody else will take care of that. No, what a great opportunity we have. What a privilege it is to give out the gospel, but God has commanded us to do that. And that's not just for the professional. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, the pastor, that's his job. What do we pay him for? He's supposed to go out there and, and do all the soul winning, handing out tracts and all of that. God has commanded all of us to have a part in this. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. I don't want to get to heaven and, and, and say, I wish I had done this. <laughs> because this life will be over like that. You, again, you might say, well, I'm not going to be like Billy Graham. I'm not going to be like this person or that person. Be who God created you to be because there's somebody that you have an influence over that nobody else will be able to reach. So be the witness in their life. Be the light of the gospel and the salt. Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's stand to our feet as we close in prayer today. We're gonna have a time of invitation. I wanna give you a, a chance to come forward. If you're not saved, we want you to get saved today. Our prayer is that you would find forgiveness in Jesus Christ.